We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. All right, guys, I want to welcome the one and only Charles Brichel, a.k.a. Black Samurai. He's a graduate of Harvard University, super versatile musician. He's a father. He's, he's multidimensional. You guys are going to love it. Originally from New Orleans, but now resides in Italy. He's creating a new music, a new sound that he likes to call Future Soul with his band, The Love Experiment. So, guys, help me welcome Charles Brichel to the Working Artist Project. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah, man, you, you know, your story is pretty interesting. You're from New Orleans. After New Orleans, you moved to Boston. After Boston, uh, you moved to New York City. And now you live in Italy. Yep. <laughs> so, man, how does that happen, man? Was that in the plan? Uh, no, nah, you know, I think uh, I would say like half my life is planned out and the other half is completely up to chance and being open to new and auspicious realities, as my partner likes to say. Like, um, I definitely plan to go to school away from New Orleans. Like, growing up in New Orleans, like, I love it. But, you know, I was growing up there in the 90s where it was just, like, you know, super violent. And it kind of, like, being a young black male, there was a lot of, like, negative stigmas around uh, just living in New Orleans. So, for me, I needed an opportunity to kind of see something different. So when uh, this guy named Nick Sanders came through, he he was uh, we went to high school together, but he was going to the New England Conservatory, which is a school in Boston. He came through and was telling everybody at my high school about the school. So I was like, okay, I'll audition. And I, I went to check it out, and I was like, all right, Boston is super cold, man. It's cold as shit, but uh, I could I could see uh, coming out there, and it was also down the street from Berkeley. So I was like, okay, well, if I go here, you know, I can hang out with the Berkeley cats because I have friends who were going to Berkeley and stuff. So it just, yeah, it happened that I, I went to Boston for five years. I um, My plan was to move to New York right after college, but once I finished, I kind of, I didn't think I was ready. Um, I wanted to go to grad school at NYU to study film because that's, like, another one of my passions. But uh, I'd actually started teaching once I, like, graduated high school. I started teaching, and I taught all throughout college. Um so somebody, my art teacher at NEC suggested I, I look into this education program at Harvard. And it was funny because I hung around Harvard a lot because NEC and Harvard have a like a dual degree program. So I actually hung around Harvard a lot, but, you know, I didn't go there. I just hung around. I played shows there. My band actually got to start playing at Harvard. And then so, you know, on a whim, I just applied for the for the program. And it was so funny. You love this. I, uh, I I was doing my application last minute, and I was playing the gig. This must have been like late December, early January, with Delphio Marcellus's Uptown <laughs> Jazz Orchestra. Oh yeah, okay. And there, during the set break, I had to like turn in the application. It was like due at midnight, <laughs> so I had to like I brought my laptop to the gig, and I like I was like, all right, let me finish this joint during the set break. You know, this is that snug. It's like we got like a little, you know, you got like a good break. Right, right. So I finished it, and I, like, somehow got internet there, because I feel like it's real hard to get internet there, but I got it, and I, I turned it in, and, you know, I wasn't expecting much, but a couple days uh, before my 22nd birthday, I guess that was, uh, I, I got the email that I got in, and, um, you know, I, that changed my life, and it, it sent me on a whole different direction, 
And, uh, you know, I've been teaching now for the past, like, well, I've been teaching for a long time, but I've been teaching in, the, I guess, a more serious manner for like the past uh, four years. And, uh, yeah, it just, you know, I guess to make the, the, que- <laughs> the question not run off forever, you know, I think it's just you have to be open in life to, like, wherever, you know, opportunities can take you and not being so fixated on things looking one certain way. I think that's the biggest thing I fight every day is having my vision of the future, but also, like, trying to be open to better visions of the future because I didn't foresee myself going to Harvard, you know, but it's something that came up which worked out better than whatever I was planning for myself, you know. So it's the same thing even with me living in Italy now. Like, I didn't foresee this at all, but, you know, there's so many opportunities um, professionally, but also just personally that I've gotten by being able to step out of the country that I don't think I would have been open to if I was continuing to just stay in the same thing. You know, I'm writing now. I write for a music blog and uh, I'm producing for some pretty dope Cuban musicians and I'm still making my music um, with my band back in New York, but I, um, I'm getting a whole new perspective on life and family, which is something that, you know, in New York, for me, I it, I don't know. Being from New Orleans, living in New York felt kind of like an artificial reality. So, <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of things that I appreciate about living in Italy, you know. And I think, you know, I've always wanted to, to live abroad or live somewhere new. So, you know, it's different because, you know, being a musician, you get to travel all over the world, see a bunch of stuff. But it's different when you actually plant your feet somewhere else, you know. So, I don't know. to make that, <laughs> To make that question short. Because I could run on forever about that. It's just, you know, just try to be open. Yeah. Man, you know, it's real interesting because you went to Harvard, man, and it's, like, not something that most musicians can say. You know what I mean? It's thought of, like, as this very, like, you know, prestigious intellectual place. And especially as a black man, like, it's just not something that ever, you know, like, at least none of my friends. Even when I heard you were going to Harvard, I was like, damn, that's crazy. Like, you can do that as a musician? Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I like, mean, what was the yeah. experience like going to Harvard every day? It was interesting, bro. Because, like I said, when during my undergrad, I went to Harvard a lot because I had friends who were going there and going to NEC. And I, I played at Harvard. So I felt like as a young college student, I spent a lot of my social time at Harvard, even though I didn't go there. And I, I originally applied to do this dual program between Harvard and NEC, which is funny how, like, fate works. I didn't get into that program. And, you know, I was salty about it, but I didn't realize how new that program was. So I had friends who were doing it and it was pretty, it was pretty like one sided towards the side of Harvard. So instead of being an equal program where you could take classes at Harvard at NEC, it was really like you could take a bunch of classes at Harvard and then you got like one class at NEC and then you got a fifth year to take all, all your classes at NEC. So my friends actually help change the structure of that program to make it more equal but in the time I was going there it wasn't an equal program so uh, what what I did I did this master's in arts education which is actually a one-year master's program which is amazing so I still did a five-year program but the way the initial program works is that you get a master's from NEC and your undergrad from Harvard so I would have to take you know four years of Harvard classes and all that and the way what I did worked is I did my undergrad at NEC and I got my master's from Harvard and I only had to do a year at Harvard. So for me, it's like, you know, even though I, that was in some ways I could look at it as a failure that I didn't get in the program. 
it still worked out like really well for me because it actually you know it worked out better i got a master's from harvard rather than my undergrad i didn't have to do so many classes at harvard and i still got a really quality education and it was great because i only had to do one year at harvard even though it was extremely intense but uh yeah i you know the the real thing the real, what got me into education was actually my mentor donald harrison he has a program for kids in new orleans who are interested in being professional musicians so like since i was a young kid i saw musicians at a high level giving back to their communities and giving back to the youth so i didn't think of it as something separate from what i was supposed to do as an artist so going to school for education for me was just to broaden my knowledge around how i could be a more effective educator and artist you know so i don't know i, I it wasn't like a a huge leap of faith for me to go to that program i was still very much surprised that i got in it but you know, it, to me, I felt it was a natural extension of what I was already doing with teaching in New Orleans and doing different master classes around the world and stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, man, I want to switch gears and talk about your band, you know, and, and the name of it and the reason you create music. And the love experiment is an experience. And why did you call it? Why do you call it that? Uh, at first, it was a joke. <laughs> at first, it was me and my homeboy, Oliver. And we, we called it our love experiment. It was for like a school talent show. Um, but then when I actually decided to make the band official, uh, that name stuck because of the, I was going through a breakup and the songs I was writing were all about like love and the complexities of love. So, you know, it kind of, as we kept going and more people in the band started writing, writing material, it kind of became, I guess, the band's philosophy, you know, because you really think about it, like, you know, I think a lot of people have this assumption that they know how to love well and that they know how to, like, you know, make a good relationship. I feel like a lot of people put more energy into, like, what food they're going to eat or what they're going to wear than, like, how they are in a relationship. We just kind of take it for granted that, okay, people, we know how to love well. We inherently are born with that skill. But I don't actually think anybody knows the secret formula to loving well. I think every time you get into a relationship any type of relationship, parental, you know, familiar, like friends, uh, lovers, it's always an experiment. You always have your idea of what's going to happen. But, you know, just like a scientific experiment, like you have your hypothesis, but then you got to test it out. And, you know, things sometimes don't go the way you, you foresee them. So I think, you know, a lot of times in music, we either hear like the super extremes, like we hear like, love is so great and yada, 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 yada. Or, love sucks like i'm about to key your car or you know <laughs> let's just let's just have sex right now like you know it's all like super extreme right so for me i was trying to make i guess more subtle music about love where it's like you know i had a song called slow where it's basically about like you know really trying to it's like it's like the beginning of a relationship when you're going past the flirting stage to like yeah i'm ready to do this where to do this is be in a relationship do this is have sex whatever but it's really like kind of like a cautionary song of like, yo, like, let's take this slow, you know, like, it's not just like, hey, man, I like you. Like, let's let's fuck right now. It's let's, it's, let's take this slow, you know, and I think that's um, that's something in our generation we don't necessarily always value. So I think, you know, a lot of these songs I was writing kind of reflectively, but also to kind of really just describe the true nature of what I think a lot of times relationships are like they're not this black and white thing they're not these extremes but there are a lot of these middle grounds and murkiness so 
I don't know, the record and the music that we write a lot of times, I think, doesn't deal with love as an absolute, but kind of as an experiment, you know? That's dope, man. So why don't why don't I give the my audience right now a chance to hear this one slow? so nice like i i just kind of want to just get a vibe on it but also i'm gonna need them to buy your record yeah so no, of course they can't, <laughs> you can't give them the whole thing but um buy the record yeah buy the record man you know is it that's an interesting concept that you were talking about uh learning to love you know and i've read several books and listened to se- several podcasts and different people talk about that how we always think when it comes to love it's we inherently know or it's in our genetic code to just know how to love when in fact we have to learn to love and we have to like anything like anything else you got to put the work in if you want a certain type of result and i think that that's why um a lot of people experience bad relationships you know i mean myself included man you know what i mean it's like you know i've been married and divorced and you know in in a lot of it is definitely due to my inability to adapt to the love situation versus like putting my concept of love uh on this other person without giving it any room to change and grow right yeah so, man so it's, you... it's, di- it's difficult man because it's like like you said we we we're all shaped by our experiences you know so we all have these concepts of like this is how you love this is how you love and it's based on what we've seen growing up or or what we can reference as relationships but you know, I don't think a lot of us realize that, yo, you can study this. Like, you can also study people. You can also, like, figure out, you know, how different people love, what their love language is. You know, there's there's so much to it. And I think what it really takes, though, it takes you understanding yourself before you really try to understand another person. I think a lot of people get in relationships to actually learn about themselves, even if they don't realize that. It's like, that's actually... Uh, a way a lot of people work out their issues and stuff is by being in relationships with other people because then whatever your shit is it gets reflected right back to you (laughs) ain't that the truth so i'm curious man what what do you what do you what do you call your music man it's like for me it's i hear hints of jazz and hip-hop and like neo soul you know what do you call it uh yeah man i was calling uh call it future soul you know, um, and that's kind of like my idea of like this is soul music for like the new generation, you know, so it embraces 
all the elements of what came before it. Obviously, like it embraces a lot of jazz because my original, like my original thing was always like, all right, I want to make jazz for people who don't think they like jazz, and I want to make jazz for people who go to the club, and you know, like all these ideas of like trying to save jazz, which is really not something that needs to be saved. It's more of just, you know, it's just having people's perspective change on how they view music, you know. Um, so for me, yeah, Future Soul is one thing. Um, then I started, I started seeing people come out using that. So I was like, all right. I also like to think of it as drip music. You know, you can use whatever connotation you want with that. And then uh, the other thing is space music. Like that song, Slow, definitely is part of the space music category. Because I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to, I don't know, man. I'm trying to like, I think there's like, you know, there's a shuttle, like a spacecraft that was sent out like in the 70s that has a bunch of music and like different stuff from from American culture. And the idea was like, okay, if it makes contact with aliens or another life form, like they'll get a snapshot of who we are at this moment in humanity, you know? So the way I look at it is like, I'm trying to make music to communicate beyond this planet, to communicate to the stars, you know what I mean? To, so I don't think I've gotten there. I don't think this record necessarily is that yet, but you know, that's kind of my intention. Kind of like Sun Ra, you know, like I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make music that is reflective of the entire universe, not just what we perceive on this, on this planet. Cause I think it's bigger, you know, people forget that like we inhabit the universe. We don't just inhabit our city or our block or our country. We inhabit, you know, this whole thing. So when you think about music, it don't have to be limited to, you know, what chicks in the club like or what people think is swinging or killing, like, <laughs> you know. Man, so you also, you mentioned teaching. I, I read on your on your bio that you work with court-involved youth. Like, what does that mean, court-involved youth? And can you tell me about the that program that you're involved with through Carnegie Hall? Right. So court-involved youth, just, you know, it means a bunch of different things. People who've gone through foster care or... Um, people who have been in like correctional facilities, like juvenile detention. Um, so the way that I kind of um, got involved with it is um, uh, this program at Carnegie Hall called Musical Connections, where they work with different schools and centers that um, deal, you know they have a population of court-involved youth, um, but. But I guess, uh, yeah, so it was that program. And then also the um, I designed a program called the Digital Music Production Program, which was actually housed at Carnegie Hall, which was open to kids who were in that uh, Musical Connections program and who just had any contact with Carnegie Hall. Um, so, yeah, really, I think a lot of times people forget that there's a population of young people out there who you know, have it a lot more difficult than the average student. And that these kids aren't necessarily always uh, segregated from um, the rest of society. So sometimes, you you know, there are a lot of high schools that have kids who, you know, foster care kids and who don't, who go to a facility instead of going to a home after school, you know, and kids who get out of juvenile detention and are kind of in like halfway houses and stuff like that. And I think you know, a lot of the programs I've done and been involved with don't ever focus on these populations. You know, it's just like, oh, you're interested in the music, cool, pay this money, and then you can do this dope stuff. So, you know, for me, 
I I went in to education because I did a lot of free programs and it was mixed. It wasn't just people who had money to afford music programs. It was definitely people. It was people from all walks of life. And to me, music is free. You know, education is free or should be free. And I think a lot of times we sometimes forget that there's so many people who just don't have simple things that we take for granted, like internet access or, you know, good teachers or anything like that. So for me, getting involved with the program at Carnegie Hall was like life changing because it allowed me to make an impact to kids who really needed it and who were, you know, normally deprived of these sort of things, you know. But they're just normal kids, man. They're just, you know, I think a lot of times we put stigmas on people because of their background or situations, but they're all normal kids, man. They all like the same stuff. Is uh, I think it's just, it's one thing when there are institutions that go out of their way to give opportunities to populations that normally get looked over, you know? So right. for me, that was super, you know, it was just super dope to be able to use my abilities to to help that. It wasn't just like, oh, we're rich and have money, so let's just let's just get it. Let's just start we want to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. It's like you have no money, you have this, you're gonna difficult background, it doesn't matter. We're still gonna teach you, we're still gonna love you, we're still gonna give you these gifts and we're not gonna judge you. And I think that was one of the greatest things about uh, the program is no judgment. You know, it's not like, oh, you kids are different or this nothing. It was completely like fluid like you didn't know who was involved because it was mixed too it wasn't just court involved youth but you didn't know who had what background so uh, it was really you know it's kind of like I guess my hope for the future to see young people interacting and very loving and respectful and you know with the same purpose they just want to learn music they want to learn how to produce they want to learn how to make songs and there's not a judgment of you're black, you're white, you're gay, you're trans, you're this, you're that, you're from you're from a lower SES background. It's none of that, you know, which I think my generation grew up with a kind of like false sense of security that we lived in a kind of like post-judgment society, but that's not true. But I do have faith in my students because I've seen it with my own eyes that you can, you can have a kid growing up in like, you know, the Upper West Side and a kid coming from like, the Bronx and like a you know like foster care home and interacting like there's no difference between them you know which to me is real beautiful yeah man so what did you learn from teaching that program and how did it change your life man I, I learned that like you always have to keep learning you know like my students inspire me the most they definitely because they always they're hungry and they're curious you know I just actually visit the program a few months ago and these kids since since i uh, stopped teaching there regularly they've been working on an album have like over 20 songs and stuff and i know musicians brilliant musicians who can't like finish five songs you know right, right so like these kids maybe with less technical knowledge of music have so much work ethic and you know it became more than just a class you know it became like these kids bonded and really became you know like a I wouldn't say a musical group because they all work together in very different ways, but they all, they didn't just stop the program. A lot of, like a lot of these programs are just like, okay, here's something cool. And then whatever. And there's no kind of follow through, but these kids took what, what we, what we gave them and they're still doing the program, but outside of the program, they get together and they create and they, they took the initiative, which reminded me of me when I was their age to, it's not just about what you learn in school, but what you're going to do on your own. What are you and your friends going to do? You know? Mm-hmm. So I think I've just learned, you know, that you you can always grow. And 
even if you're a teacher, you're still a student, you know, and there's a beautiful relationship when you can learn from your students while continuously pushing them to learn, you know, that that way teaching for it becomes a just an exercise in growing and learning. You know, that's what it that's what it has been for me. Like I learned so much more because I have to teach it. So I have to know and they have questions. I have to I have to know the answers, you know. So it just always pushes me to grow and learn, you know, learn more. And that's it's, that's been the biggest thing to see. I don't know. Just to, I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to articulate, but yeah. to basically see myself grow by teaching others, you know, to see how much I learn from teaching others, I guess is the biggest thing I got out of it. Yeah, that's common, man. You know, when I was teaching over at NOCA, I had the same experience. It's like, oh, man, like I have to. I'm learning from these students. Like I'm learning more from them and I think I'm teaching them. You, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, a, it's yeah. weird how it works when you start teaching. Cause it's like all of a sudden you have to approach your craft from a different angle and you're like, Oh wait, I didn't, I didn't even think about it like this before. You know what I mean? Right. So are you like, what, what do you got, have planned, you know, for the next few years and in Italy and in the States and, you know, and, and are you moving your family back? Like what, what's the plan? Well, you know, given recent political decisions, you know, <laughs> nobody nobody on this side is in, in, in a particular rush to go back to the States, you know, because I, you know, I, I just had a son and my partner has uh, two kids, too, as well, in, in addition to our, our child together. And, you know, we have, they're all boys, so we have three black boys, you know. And given how, you know, since 2012, the national attention on things we've already known, but how black, how black bodies, in particular males, not exclusive to males, but, you know, how black bodies are basically treated as worthless, you know, within the country, it, it's the reality that you want to spare, you know, your children from, and you want to give them the right tools to deal with it when the time comes. But, it's so nice to see, you know, three carefree black men in this world right now who have no idea about the realities that they could face based on just the way they were born, you know? So I think for us, we're, we're really aware and apparent that like these realities exist and they're harder and harder to hide when you're actually in it. Being over here, it's like they don't have to engage with it, you know? Everyone's super nice, super lovely. Like they love the kids like there's no like you know i mean not that there isn't racism out here but it's not you know racism in america it's like you know it's like seeing blue in the sky like you can't avoid it you know right here here it's like you can avoid it so i think for us is you know understanding that our that our children's mental health is important and black people in america like i don't think we realize the amount of mental trauma that we undergo growing up black in America, you know, and the the monumental trauma that our, our ancestors have been through that is residually effect, affects us, you know. So I think for us, you know, we do believe that this world is getting better and that, you know, society through these new generations has a chance to get better, but it's still, we have to always like be cautious about what decisions we make and how they affect our children, you know. And I know right now, with with Trump in office and watching the things he's done in just two weeks, 
and knowing that like it's not like police killings of black people have stopped it's just there's so much crazy stuff going on there's just not getting much attention on that and you know and also knowing that police killings of black people never stopped since slavery <laughs> you know so right. you know it's it, for us i think it's just about like how do we give our kids the tools to be globally minded so that whether we end up in america or brazil or japan it doesn't matter like your mindset is not stuck in I'm an American and I'm stuck to the system because that's how I grew up. Like, mm-hmm. all I know is my city and my block. And, like, until somebody came and showed me that there was a bigger world, all I knew was that. And that's all that's how I based my prospects in life. You know, we have yeah. the opportunity to raise kids without those limitations. You know, so that's right now I can say it's uncertain, but I really want to set up the life that we can be anywhere Brazil, Japan, and those are places I want to go <laughs> next, okay. but you yeah, know, that's an always, int- always a foot in America. <laughs> right. For sure. That's an int- maybe not full time. Right. No, I hear you. It's an interesting point you made about only seeing your block, you know, even growing up wanting to be a musician, like I never really fully entertained the idea of traveling, you know, I'm from Mississippi. I didn't know anybody that left the country. You know, you know what I mean? And, and then exactly. when you, you become a professional and you start seeing other parts of the world and, and you start seeing that, like, wait a minute, like, like everything that I heard back home isn't necessarily true, you know, and I have options like these people are just as happy or if not happier than everyone around me. So, yeah, I have, well, I have a question for you. Like, what was, what was your first moment like traveling that you really kind of like? you know, the veil kind of got lifted over your eyes and you're like, oh, man, like, <laughs> the people around me or where I grew up, they don't know what's up. Like, you know, because right. I know you've had that moment. Like, I oh. had that moment where you see the country and it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, America man. isn't the only thing. For sure. I think the first, it was my second tour. Like, my first tour, I went to Cuba. And then my second tour, I went on a, a European tour and, like, just going to different places in Europe, like Italy and Switzerland and, like, all these people are like, damn, wait a minute, man. Like, you know, because you get bombarded with these notions of America's greatness. And, and you think that other places aren't great because you don't know. You know, especially as a black kid, like, you just don't know. You know, you know, coming from, uh, you know, middle or lower class where your parents don't have the money to, you know, send you to these places. So when you get there, you're like, wow, wait a minute. In your imagination, it was just something totally different. Like it was just some like desolate, barren wasteland that everyone hated. But actually, it's just like this plush lifestyle and people's lives are a little more relaxed than American people's lives in general. You know, so that first experience in Europe was very eye opening for me. Yeah, that'll do it for you. Yeah, that'll do it for you. (laughs) Man, I want to listen to another um another track from your record man maybe maybe one that like exemplifies like love from a friendship place well there's a song called friends that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's basically that <laughs> Me on the 
I wrote this song like 2010, 2011. Oh, word? Yeah, it's old. It's nice, man. It's a nice one. Man, I just realized something. We didn't really get into this, but... I mean, I guess people are wondering what you do exactly. You know, you you play drums and you produce, right? Yeah, <laughs> I play drums. I produce. I rap too. I'm, I got some rap projects coming out this year. Uh, I I write. Um, I'm I'm getting into to filming and photography. Um, I think those are the main things. Yeah, pr- production and, and well, I write songs. Like a lot of the music on this record, I wrote. So, you know, I'm trying to be a modern black creative. <laughs> I like to call them super creatives. Super creatives. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. We'll see after this year. After this year, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Man, I want to talk because we were talking about love a little earlier. And the concept of love is fascinating. And also your whole band, the name is, you know, the love ex- experiment. And how did your energy towards love change after having a kid oh man i would i would definitely say that i did not know what love was really until until my son was born i think i had a really strong idea of it you know like i think i really had a strong idea of it but you know what you realize when you have a child man is that you realize that the type of love everybody needs is that of a parent to a child you know, because a child, like, when they're young and can't do anything, they need you whole, completely. Like, they can't do anything without you. And I think as we grow older and people have their own personalities and this and this and that, we make assumptions on the type of love other people need. You know, like, oh, you don't do that. That's that's going to be too clingy. Or don't do that. That's going to be X, Y, and Z. But, like, you think about a baby, like, they wake up, they need food, they need to be held. They need you to take their shit, you know, <laughs> right. and need you to be okay about it no matter what time they, they, they bother you, whether it's, like, 8 in the morning or, like, you know, 3, three in the morning. Like, because, you know, my, my son wakes up in the night, and a lot of times I wake up and feed him and put him back to sleep and change him or whatever. And sometimes, you know, I'll, it'll be right when I'm about to go to sleep because I, I get most of my work done in the middle of the night. So I'll just, you know, I'll just be about to go to sleep and he wakes up. I'll just go to sleep and I got sleep for like 15 minutes and he wakes up and you know that sucks but I look at him and he's so precious you know and he's so just grateful in a way that he he doesn't have the words to express but he's grateful that someone is there feeding him and loving him and putting him back to sleep I realize and I'm starting to realize it's like everybody needs that everybody needs to know that there's somebody whether it's your parents your lover your friends that like will be there for them when they can't be there for themselves, you know? And I think having a child shows you that, that those are the, all, those are the essential things you need in life. You need food, you need shelter, and shelter can be as simple as someone holding you, and you need to, you know, you need to feel safe, right? And you need somebody who will take your shit, <laughs> who, won't com- <laughs> who, who won't complain right. about having to deal with your shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really what it is. So for me, man, like, I definitely, you know, I still have a lot to learn about being a lover and and loving people well. 
but definitely having a child has opened my eyes to what it really is to really love, you know. And I think, like we were talking about earlier, you had a lot of I had a lot of ideas and preconceived notions on what love was supposed to be. But when you get a situation where you are responsible for bringing another person into this world and 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 helping with that process and helping raise this person, you realize like how deep love goes. You know, like I remember my kid got sick. <laughs> you know, and and like just the way that hurt me that mm-hmm. he was sick <laughs> was something I never felt before. Like my parents get sick, you know, my friends get sick, but like my son getting sick, like it, it devastated me, you know. And I think that's the type of love that we should all aspire to. One in which one in which doesn't complain and doesn't find inconvenience, but f- finds a sense of responsibility and loving something or somebody well, you know. Like I it gives me great pride to love my son and to take care of my son. And I believe it should give everybody great pride to love their wife, love their girlfriend, love their father, love their mother with the same type of like selflessness, you know? And that's something that like, I can't say I'm perfect. I'm not perfect, but it's something I'm definitely working on to love in a very selfless way. Cause having a kid will teach you that, that it requires selfless love. Otherwise you're not going to be a good parent, you know? Now, why do you think we lose that for our neighbors? You know what I mean? Because it seems like the world would be such a much better place if we could just adhere to that concept of love that you just described now. Uh, because because it requires sacrifice, you know. And I think a lot of times you grow up in this world and you start getting your perspective your perspective shaped by what you're surrounded by. You know, I used to not smile as a kid because you know I know you said this is a free kind of podcast I was, you know i was around a bunch of niggas man and <laughs> you know it wasn't cool it wasn't cool to smile like it wasn't cool like you have to be hard right you know like because people were dying like people were getting killed all the time mostly because they you know you you messing with the wrong people but also if you you were perceived to be weak then you would get picked on you would get jumped you might get robbed you know so like you couldn't you couldn't show anything that resembled weakness and and smiling, in my opinion, resembled weakness. And, you know, this is the era of gangster rap and all that. So all the rappers and everything, everyone got a mean mug on their face. You know, so as a kid, yeah, you laugh, you joke, whatever. But, like, when I really reflect on being a young black boy, like, I didn't smile a lot. Like, I laughed and joked. But the laughing and joking usually came when we were making fun of somebody, you know. So, like, really thinking about it as a perspective of a man, like, I think black men and black people in general, uh, women too. We internalize so much pain and trauma that we adapt unnatural ways of of dealing with our emotions. You know, so as it comes to like, why don't people love in these selfless ways? It's because our environment has been filled with so many so many things that cause us not only to like not understand how to love our neighbors, but not understand how to love ourselves. So if we don't know how to love ourselves. We're not going to be able to love anybody else effectively. And I think that's really the big issue is that in every aspect of society, we find different ways in which love is distorted and it causes people to not love themselves well. Therefore, they can't love their communities well. And I think it's, it's on us to get back to the essence, you know, whatever that means, like of how we're supposed to be. I think learning history and, and studying ancient you know, practices, definitely African, because, like, you know, those are the first people. Like, really understanding, like, one, that 
this is my philosophy. One, that, like, we all come from women, right? So we have to learn how to respect women and understand that, like, even as men, we have feminine energy that we have to balance and not be afraid to embrace. You know, like, you look at the problems of the world, man, there's a lot of men just messing shit up. <laughs> you know, like, a, a lot of men just trying to go to war for what? To make money for what, though? You know? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, if you're heterosexual, like, at the end of the day, you, you want all this money and power, but you want to be embraced by a woman, whether it's your mama, your sister, or your, your, your wife, you know? So it's like, why do we disrespect our women? Why do we do all these things, you know? And it's and it, and it reflect it's reflective in every part of society, you know? I think if we learn how to treat ourselves better, you know, whether that's man, woman, child, whatever, then we can learn how to treat each other better, you know? But it... The hardest thing, man, the hardest thing is combating yourself and dealing with yourself. That's like the hardest thing. People don't want to do that. So we hide. Some people hide in prescription pills. Some people hide in sex. Some people hide in their careers. But, you know, the the hardest thing to do is to face yourself and fix yourself. And there's so many things, especially in America. That's something that living in Italy has shown me. Like there's so many glaring issues throughout various facets of American society that people just use things to hide, hide. And, you know, we hide in entertainment. We hide in all these distractions rather than actually dealing with the issue. That's how we can live in a country where people can, you can have a Muslim ban and people can be celebrating that stuff without actually knowing nothing about the facts. And families are getting separated. People are dying, all this stuff. And and people can celebrate that, not knowing the Muslim man is driving your taxi. The Muslim man is like, you know, the one who has the bodega open at 3 a.m., so you can get a sandwich, like, right. you know, right. So we just got to, we got to do a better job of understanding and loving ourselves. So otherwise we, you know, we're going to be like how the American psyche is, man, xenophobic, like afraid of everybody, mm-hmm. you know? Damn. Yeah, bro. You just dropped a lot of knowledge right there, <laughs> <laughs> man. So 10 years from this moment, 10 years from today, right now, what do you see yourself? Man, 10 years from now, I'll be about to turn 36. I'm turning, no, I'll be about to turn 37. I'm turning 27 in a few weeks. Uh, So I'm hoping 10 years from now, man, like, you know, my my little boy will be 10. I'm really hoping to to make it shift. I want to direct movies. I want to write books. I want to get back into visual art. I want to make a children's cartoon show. I've watched many children's cartoon shows now. And actually, one of my homies from high school, uh, is like the main producer of this show called Clarence, which is super, super funny. And it was funny because in high school, we used to just kick it and draw cartoons and stuff. And now he like does that. So it's real crazy to see someone living their dreams in like a very uh, undeniable way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I hope to just be doing visual stuff, making movies, continuing to perform and produce music. But I'm hoping that I can kind of elevate the other aspects of my creative mind and monetize those I think uh, a lot of times we put limits on ourselves and what we can do. And my thing is, man, you only have one life. So whatever you want to do, this is your opportunity to do it. There isn't like, oh, I'll do it next life. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to do something, you should do it. So I want to make comic books. I want to make a cartoon show. I want to, like, make movies, you know, and I want to I wanna produce and perform music. So, And I want to act and stuff, too, so... Uh, what I figure is, like, I don't know how long I have, but every day that I have, I'm going to try to use it towards doing what I want to do because this is the opportunity to do it, you know? So 
that's 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 my ten year plan. Hopefully, to oh also to be extremely extremely rich, like <laughs> a, a multi millionaire. Cause shoot, who knows what the economy do? A multi millionaire might not mean much in ten years, but I want to be extremely extremely rich because I want to I want my family to have generational wealth. So I want to be able to pass down not only money but but uh things that continue to make money like products like you know pieces of work property all that you know i want to build generational wealth for my family so yeah hopefully in 10 years i I have started that process sorry man are you working on any new projects right now that you want people to know about yeah man uh so my band is working on another record with this group called wonk which is based in um tokyo uh so we're doing like a little collaboration record that's going to come out in this summer. We also have our own EP that we're working on for the fall or spring. I'm not sure when we're going to release it. And we have a mixtape that will probably drop in a couple months. And then I have a, a project with a New York-based saxophonist named Braxton Cook, who's actually a really dope singer and songwriter. And we have a little project together while I'm rapping and producing and then I have another project with uh, a singer from Miami who lives in Italy. We have a group called Como, and we've been performing out here. And uh, we actually have a single that's going to drop this month called Melanin, you know, trying to celebrate for Black History Month, trying to celebrate uh, <laughs> that melanin. Um, and then, yeah, I have, like I told you, I'm getting into rapping, so I have other projects that I'm rapping on that I'm trying to figure out and I'm also trying to figure out dropping beat tapes and just my production stuff. So I'm really just trying to put out a lot of content this year because for a lot of years I've I've had that kind of like awkward thing when people say, oh, you're a, music, you're a musician, I want to hear your music, and I really had nothing to show them. Mm. So now I have this Love Experiment record out, and I'm planning to just put out as much diverse content as possible. I'm hoping to make a jazz record too. <laughs> so, from, so from the Love Experiment record, where can they find that? Okay, you can get the Love Experiment record. Uh, you can go to our website, loveexperimentmusic.org, and you can get it on Bandcamp. Uh, you can also get it on iTunes, Spotify, basically everywhere you can find it. Uh, if you buy it on Bandcamp, the money comes directly to us, though. So you can hit up theloveexperiment.bandcamp.com and buy that joint. But you can also find it on Apple Music and Spotify and all that good stuff, so... You know, support the home team. We got we got more music coming out, and uh, you know, this this music has been a long time in the making. So it's all the support is appreciated. We've been around. We're gonna turn seven in a couple of weeks. The band, so we're really hoping to like take this music on the road. We have a couple prospects to do some international touring. So we're just trying to we're trying to take this thing to the next level. We've we've definitely put in the grind work. <laughs> That's what's up, man. I'll definitely like link. I'll put the links in the description and, and you guys can click it in. And, and also you can reach out to Charles. I guess you, you uh, Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as BLVK Beats. Um, I'm on Twitter as that too. Uh, that's probably a good way to contact me, uh, Twitter and, um, and uh, Instagram. But yeah, my government name is, uh, <laughs> is uh, where you can find me on Facebook. But yeah, I'm out here. Also, I got my own website, charlesburchell.com. You can go to the website, check out what I'm doing in the worlds of education and music. That's what's up. Now, why don't we listen to one more, man, before we go? Definitely. Which one? Let's play Once Your Love. Once Your Love. 
mate. This is cruising music. You know, this is to put in the whip and, and ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's taking me. It, it makes it feel for whatever reason it's feeling like Earth, Wind, and Fire to me for something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it has, it has that vibe. <laughs> Yeah, man, y'all gotta get out there and buy this one, man. This this one's really dope. You know what I mean? <laughs> thank y'all, thank you, man. Please support. You know, we out here trying to make that new that new music. <laughs> and before you go, I like to ask all my guests this one question: What are you most thankful for? Uh, man, the obvious answer, man. I'm most I'm most thankful for my family. I have an amazing partner who's been extremely supportive during my time like transitioning from america to italy uh i have amazing kids that i'm real thankful for you know they give me they give me a reason to to smile every day man i have amazing parents who've been supportive through me through all my different life uh decisions i have an amazing band that didn't complain when i left the country and have been on the grind making things happen and you know i'm 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 thankful that like I get an opportunity every day to wake up and do what I love. You know, mo- so many people don't get to do that, but I've been able not only to, to support myself doing what I love, I've been able to touch people's lives doing that. So, you know, for me that's like that's it. That's that's the greatest satisfaction, man. Like even though I was talking about being super rich in the future, to me the wealth is that you get to affect people's lives from your family to people you you never you know, you might never meet, but you know, uh, this record that y'all listening to came out in Japan last summer, and that's for me is something I couldn't even imagine. You know, so like, it's it's a blessing to be able to do these things that you love and touch people in the world. You know, but it's also a blessing to wake up and be able to touch your your family every day and and love your family every day. So I'm really thankful that I'm surrounded by wonderful people and that I get a chance to do wonderful things every day. That's what's up. So y'all look, I want to thank Charles Michelle for coming on the Working Artists Project today. Yeah, Black Samurai. That's my that's my alias. Oh, Black <laughs> Samurai, the love experiment. Yeah, know. You know, check it out. We'll catch y'all later. Peace. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Working Artists Project. Before you go, I need you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Facebook. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. It would also be awesome if you guys could check out my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. Each week, I will recognize one of my patrons at the end of this podcast. This week, we have Mr. Ray Douglas. If you want to find out how to get your name called, click the link below. Become a patron. I'll catch you guys later. Peace.